are live from the empire of lies, an oasis of free speech, open debate, and actual diversity of thought. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Well, we're back from the weekend, Rod. How did you do? How did you, you have a nice weekend? Yeah, I had a decent weekend, Lee. Uh, decent weekend, Lee. How about yourself? I had an okay weekend, although it was cold, very cold. I didn't go out until Sunday because the wind was so bad on Saturday that it was down to about 10 degrees. And that's chilly, as you, you may know. Yeah, bone chilling. Yeah, so I didn't even bother to go out. But it got warmer Sunday, so I went out for dinner. So we got a great show today. Let's talk about who's on. First off, coming to us live from London at the bottom of the half hour is the great Ian Schilling to bring us up to date. Did you hear that the UK, there was suddenly a $50 million hole in their budget? Did you heard that? Yeah, I've heard a lot of things with the UK. Uh, also, you know, the, um, they're having the, uh, I don't know why, why I'm blanking out, oh, G20 and uh, Rishi Sunak said, uh, criticized Putin for not showing up. Right, and, and Putin didn't show up on purpose because wh- why should he? Why go to a party if everyone hates you there? Does that make sense, Rod? Well, that's the point. They, they wanna, they want, they want him there so they can, you know, get photo ops and say, look, I, I you know, I, I said to Putin, to get out of Ukraine. And they probably want it so they can photobomb him in the photo ops. I could see Sunak putting his hand up, you know, the antenna sign behind Putin. That would go over very well with his buddies. Don't you think so? Hilarious. Right. Exactly. So, so. I understand why, and we'll talk about Kherson in a second too, because I'm seeing a lot of propaganda about Kherson. But meanwhile, Russia pulling out of Kherson seems to be being taken well in Russia. The Russian people, by and large, seem okay with General Armageddon's decision to pull out of Kherson. Have you seen that, Rod? Yeah, the um, I think you know as time went on, we got a little bit more context, you know, uh, and 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 in this clip we have, and you know, all the all the people who were pro-Russian or you know wanted to join Russia in the Kherson region were already evacuated, so you know that it wasn't like Russia left them there. And it also seemed like a very efficient operation. Getting out of Kherson seems to have taken a few days, and Americans. Milley, for instance, he thought it would take weeks. So it's a very efficient operation. And apparently the Russians didn't leave any equipment in Kherson. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, unlike the U.S. Right. That's what I was going to say. Unlike the U.S., which can't pull out efficiently, as Afghanistan showed. But this operation in Kherson seemed to be done very efficiently. And again... It seems to have basically been Russia's only choice because it's a very hard place to defend. So they could have cost Russian lives, but Sorvegan chose to get out of there. Only, And I think Russia will be back. 
and Kershawn. Do you agree? Oh, yeah, for sure. Lee. They're, they're, they're just um, getting their ducks in order, and I'm pretty sure they'll be back. And with General Armageddon, I'm pretty sure they're going to get... So Zelensky was over there raising a Ukrainian flag on a building in Kherson and making a big deal of this. And I saw one person say, I'm not saying Ukraine's won, but Russia's lost. Well, listen, you Ukrainian idiot. Russia has not lost at all. They have taken a fifth of the country. Do you see any way Russia has lost this special military operation, Rod? Uh, no, the, but in the eyes of the Western media and the Western elites, of course, you know, this uh, this Kherson evacuations, this is their everything right now. Right, right. And I think that what Russia is doing is focusing on winning the war and not the PR campaign. Once again, Zelensky can go into Kherson and raise a flag and whoop de do and act like he's won. But I think Putin knows that really, strategically, Kherson was meaningless. Is that what you're hearing, Rod? Yeah, that's that's what I've been hearing, over, over, especially over the weekend, Lee, and, uh, you know, let more context in and, uh, you know, CNN and all other networks that went in there as well and uh, started having people chant and sing in the background. Now, the, the, the other guest we've got in the second hour, and this is already an interview I've done, so I know it's in it, is David Towles. He's an expert on cryptocurrency, and he's going to be talking to us about this FTX thing. Now, are you following that, Rod? Yeah, I, uh, I've definitely been following it, Lee, and it's uh, it's a big web, and a lot of people are tangled into it. The biggest names are like Tom Brady, who had a lot of money invested in it. I'll tell you the biggest name involved, Joe Biden, the Democratic Party. And my interview with David Towles does not get into the politics of it. It is basically laying out what is happening factually. But this company, FTX, the guy behind it was, he set up a fund to invest cryptocurrency in Ukraine, right? So a lot of money to Ukraine was going through this company, FTX. And it just so happens this FTX guy was also a big donor to the Democrats, right? About 40 million to Democrats. Do you see anything possibly suspicious there? Yeah, very much so, Lee. And you know, if you if you notice the media, they're not they're not presenting you that fact. They're just you know presenting. Uh, I think his name Ben. Uh, they're just presenting you know this this young man who's being uh, taking his company down. But he, there's a, there's a lot more bigger people involved than just this young this young guy. So we talk about with David Towles what he did, and when you see what he actually did, it's obvious that there's a crime going on here. But you're right. The media is not covering it. And the reason they're not covering it, here's a good, good, good question. How do you get away with billions of dollars worth of fraud and money laundering, Rod? Be a Democrat. Yeah, you get some politicians, put some uh, money in some politicians' pockets or PACs or whatever, whatever you want to do. There's no doubt this is a huge story, but the media is not going to cover it. This is my prediction. They will not cover it. And it will be left to people like The the Intercept, people like Max Blumenthal, people like Glenn Greenwald will be the 
only ones covering this. Do you think my prediction is going to turn to be right, Rod? Uh, I think somebody like Tucker will have definitely have some people on to uh, to cover it as well. So, um, but you know, they might be the same people you're talking about. But yeah, I think uh, Fox do a little light coverage as well. But I think Tucker, the, Tucker would definitely. The only investigative journalists will be people like The Intercept or, uh, you know, like you say, people on Tucker. But none of the the Hannity guests. You won't see John Solomon on this story. Does that make sense? Right. Right. So. Rod, do us a favor. And by the way, we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Take us to the boom, please, won't you? You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. The easiest thing you predict in this is that the media will not cover it because it risks exposing Democrat corruption and Ukrainian corruption. And that's a double whammy. Does that make sense, Rod? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, Sam Sam Bagman Freed, that's his name. And just just by looking at the guy, if you looked at him and you're talking about this guy was handling millions or possibly billions of dollars, I wouldn't have trusted him just by looking at him. Just just so we'll talk about the basic crypto bits of this at the end of the show with David Towles. Great interview. And we'll be covering this. Here's another prediction. The media won't be covering it. But we will. And do you know who would be great if they're on this story? Lucy Commissar. This is a kind of story that involves big numbers. And Lucy's great with stuff that involves looking at financial statements. Does that make sense, Rod? 100%, yeah. So I don't know if Lucy's involved in this, but she should get on this story because it seems ideal for her. 202 521 1320 is the number to call. The great killer of owls, part of our listener community. Owl killer, what's on your mind? Nobody cares about that story with the FTX market because nobody really, no little person had money into that system. And when you, I don't know how accurate the Gateway Pundit's um, coverage of it is, but I mean, um, Jim Hoff had a great, um, depiction of what was going on, where it's it's a it was a money laundering operation, and like Rod said, just looking at that goofy kid, who in their right mind? Because I, I heard people like Tom Brady got burned for hundreds of millions of dollars in that um, that F, that FTX operation, but clearly that it's it's another it, it was another roundabout of how do you? I mean, with cryptocurrency in general. With the decentralization of it, you really don't know whose money and where the money's going or where the money's coming from. But it, it seemed like he was doing a Madoff in the sense where they were issuing these FTT coins and they didn't have the reserves to cover um, what was – they didn't have the reserves to cover um, small – they were making a pretty – Well, well I'll, I'll uh, let you know – that David Towles said this is a bigger story than Madoff. That's what he said to me. This is bigger. So, and also, by the way, the people who lost money are all over the spectrum. I don't believe Tom Brady actually lost money. I believe he probably lost money on paper because he was hired as a spokesman, you know. So I believe he lost money, but on paper. But 
it doesn't matter because if your grandma lost all her money because this deals with Democrats and Ukraine, the press will not cover it all color. No, exactly. And that's what Jim Hoffa was setting up was he where he was showing how money was going. We were giving foreign aid to Ukraine. That money was going into FTF. FTX was giving it to the Democratic politicians. And it was just, uh, for lack of a better word, it was a giant circle. And I think that's how a lot of foreign aid in general is. It's, you know, Ukraine is a perfect operation for it where uh, we're given foreign aid and then something like an FTX where it's deregulated in a sense where with cryptocurrency, you don't know and you don't know where the unless they're looking for that money to be coming back. We know the Justice Department's not. Well, let me just point out something else true and see if you see a problem in our color. The person in Ukraine who is investigating corruption, who investigates that stuff is the main funding for that all comes from the Democrats' top donor, George Soros. So when you have the Soros fox guarding the hen house, do you see any potential for problem there, Al Kohler? No, no. I, it would be like uh, Emperor Palpatine um, uh, paying it or monitoring um, the Jedi transactions, because that's what Soros looks like to me, Emperor Palpatine. But um, no, of, of course, it's I mean, it's I again, and this is where I, I came to on the realization with the midterms. We have the country has evolved into a situation where all that matters is who controls the Justice Department and the 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 unelected agencies that enforce stuff, whether it's the EPA, the FDA, stuff like that. They they own they own the levers of government and it's. It doesn't matter. I think Andrew Jackson said it best when the Supreme Court ruled against him. He said, "Okay, you've made your ruling. Now let's see you enforce it. And the people that are supposed to be enforcing the law and monitoring these things are the people that are involved in the actual criminal activity. So there's. Well, that's true. You have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene out there. And I believe so on the elections, which are still going on, it looks like. The GOP will take the House. They lost the Senate over the weekend. But all I care about is the House. That's all I've cared about for weeks. Because if they control the House, the GOP controls committee chairmanships. And first off, the January 6th investigation that the Democrats launched is over. And I believe it will come back under Republicans. So I'm saying that there's still a possibility that some justice will be done because the Republicans will be in charge of those committee seats. And I'm seeing Marjorie Taylor Greene is being very aggressive. Have you seen that, Al Killer? I, I have. I have. I don't like that she's back in McCarthy. But I do. I when I heard Steve Bannon bringing up today that the reason she's back in McCarthy is because there's a push to make Liz Cheney the Speaker of the House. As crazy as that sounds, um, I, I I do I do think she's being aggressive. But again, they can make all the committees under the sun. Who is going to enforce anything? That that's the key. That that is well, what it comes down to. The issue is 
I, I think I think while the FBI is corrupt, not every single person at the FBI is corrupt. That's why sometimes you see things like this crime involving FTX is so big that somebody it might may not be who should go to jail, but somebody will go to jail for over this. And this story is too big to completely bury. Does that make sense? I it, it make it no, I, I agree that it, it it makes sense. But again, like it, it's just one. I, I actually think you know this the FDA. I think this is a a call because in order in order for this to have gone down the way that it did, somebody needed inside information on what was really going on. It, it, nobody as organic as you can make it seem that all oh, people are like, okay, let me get my money now, and they couldn't cover it. Somebody in the inside knew what was going on. And and that they could not, they didn't have the reserves to cover what they were portraying on paper. What I so I, I still think the Biden laptop story is too big to completely bury. They've done it so far, but I'm going to say that with this new Congress, I think you're going to see movement on that. And so let's who, watch and see what happens. Thanks for the call, Al Keller. Let's go to Tarif. 202-521-1320. Therese, what's on your mind? Thank y'all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free June and science. I'm, gra- uh, uh, I'm glad y'all brought up FTX. They need to do an investigation on that. But also, here's my comments on what the committee need to investigate. I think, in my opinion, it should talk to June and science editor-in-chief um, and see if they got any more information about you know corruption in the government, anything like that. I know it's a long shot, but I'm willing hopefully they can push it. Look into the Jeff Epstein thing, dealing with the uh, people that he was involved with. You know, I know they can't prosecute nobody, but if they do that and they can expose a lot, that would be helpful. And then also... Um, who, who do you think wants... Who are you saying anybody, even Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is saying who wants to bring the truth out about the Epstein story? Are you saying anybody... I'm not seeing Rand Paul or Massey. I'm not seeing one politician. Rod, am I missing any politician talking about Epstein? Yeah, in DC, no. They just they don't they don't touch it, Lee. Right. I, I'm I'm so on that one, Tarif. I don't think you're going to see anything. I'm seeing no one because if they want to find out about Epstein, I would say talk to Bannon. Of hours of interviews he did with Epstein. That's where they should call Bannon, right, Rod? Yeah, t- ten hours. Ten hours with uh, Epstein. I mean, come on, <laughs> that's a that's a long that's a long time. So you know, I'm pretty sure they should ask him a lot of questions. Yeah, but they're not going to ask him the right questions. Go ahead, Jareef. And my last thing is going to tie into the Epstein thing. I know it's a long shot again, but. Somebody from the Trump campaign, they can do is make videos or confront Ron DeSantis on Jeff Epstein saying, well, while you was governor, you could have put a prosecutor, a special prosecutor, state prosecutor, or put the DA or whatever on the Epstein case, wherever the uh, federal government had lacked, you can back, you can uh, push forward on it with a special prosecutor or the DA, just like New York doing to Trump right now, doing it, they're doing it to Trump because... 
They don't have- but but no one's going to go after Epstein because it touches the third rail of politics, which is Israel. Because Epstein is obviously tied to Israel, no one is going to go after him. Do you think I'm right, Rod? You're being a little anti-Semitic right now, so I think we should move on. <laughs> well, speaking of which, you know where I'm going on the clips, Sam. Dave Chappelle hosted Saturday Night Live this weekend. And Chappelle does a good job on SNL, but he's always controversial. Have you noticed that, Rod? Yeah, no, uh, he did. He did. Uh, he did talk a little bit about um, the Jewish execs, and but then at the same time, you know, certain other things he didn't touch on, or you know, he didn't talk about Fetterman. That would have been a layup, but he did talk about Herschel Walker. Well, uh, especially since he attacked Herschel Walker, basically. I'm seeing the line, Walker is stupid. That's the Democrats' line. Walker's stupid. But yeah, I was thinking about this, Rod. Think about this. When Fetterman does something stupid in the debate, let's say, there are a million clips that go around on right-wing media, right? Clip Clips of Fetterman go all over the place, correct? Yeah, 100%. They're all over the place. But Herschel Walker was in a debate. Have you seen any clips that show how stupid Herschel Walker is? Actual clips where he does something embarrassing in the debate, like we have Fetterman or, let's say, Biden. Have you seen those clips, Rod? The only clip that I did see surfaces when they were talking about abortion. That was it. Right. But there's not clips that show he's just an idiot. Right. They show he's asked a simple question and then he says, duh, and he can't answer it. Have Have you seen that? Because I haven't. No, he's not. A, he's not a character from Beavis and Butthead. No. But the easy layup again, do that on Fetterman, Chappelle. But let's hear Chappelle talking about Herschel Walker. And again, he doesn't say anything specific. It's just generally Herschel's dumb. Hit it. And it's an ominous sign. The most ominous sign in the midterms, I believe, would be Herschel Walker, who I, I don't want to speak badly of because he's black. But I have to admit, he's, um, he's observably stupid. Even when he's not talking, his mouth be open a little bit like Now, you could apply those same jokes to Fetterman, and I have observed Fetterman and his mouth be open. Have you noticed that, Rod? No, I would, you know, I would say that John Fetterman is an idiot. Um, I mean, he doesn't even, he just, you know, I want to let, I want to let out two thirds of the prison population. You know, they're, they're good people. This was, I think this was before his stroke. Um, so you can't say, oh, it's because of his stroke he's saying things. No, no. This, so this guy's just disconnected with reality altogether. Now, on the other hand, he got talking about Kanye. And this part of Chappelle's SNL monologue is touching on, you know, issues of Israel and anti-Semitism the way it's it's a good joke, actually. So let's hit it and see what Chappelle said about this. 
woke up from that nap, we went right to work. <laughs> a year ago, I'd seen him on a podcast called Drink Champs. Well, great show. Uh, and it was it was an amazing appearance. Uh, Noriega and them were there, the rappers that I love, and they all had their gold chains and stuff on. And uh, Kanye said, only millionaires wear chains. They said, what? He said, I'm a billionaire. Billionaires don't wear their money on their body. I took my chain and I said, oh, snap. It was fun and funny. But when he woke up, he went on Drink Champs again. This time, he was on one. He was mad about something. He said, I can say anti-Semitic things. And Adidas can't drop me. Now what? Mm. Adidas dropped immediately. <laughs> Ironically, Adidas was founded by Nazis. And they were offended. The students are past the teacher. It's a big deal. He had broken the show business rules. Is this a rule? You know, the rules of perception. If, if they're black, then it's a gang. If they're Italian, it's a mob. But if they're Jewish, it's a coincidence, and he should never speak about it. so much trouble Kyrie got in trouble now that was the joke and and Chappelle's got a point there if you could if, if you notice that there's a large group of what you call Jewish people because I I gotta say they're not really Jewish does it make sense Rod we've had Rabbi Shapiro enough on these are not observer observant people but people they're calling culturally Jewish, but you can't notice that because if you point that out, it's automatically anti-Semitic, and that it seems to be a double standard. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, real quickly, Lee. There was a uh, Hebrew Israelites in Times Square uh, debating with two uh, two Jewish kids, and one of the <laughs> one of the Jewish kids he asked him, "Are you an observant Jew?" He says, "No, um, uh, I'm an atheist." So he's an he's a Jewish atheist. So there you go. No, exactly right. And that's increasing in common. Now let's take a short break and we'll go to London with the great Ian Schilling because a lot's going on in London and, you know, the $50 billion hole in the budget. Let's take a short break and we'll be back with the great Ian Schilling on the backstory. Backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390. Joining us now, live from London, a great guest, friend of the show, and the best laugh in England. Ian Schilling is joining us. Hey, Ian, how are you doing? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. Before we talk about the giant hole in the UK's budget that Sunak found, let's talk about Jeremy Corbyn. 
Have you been seeing Corbin get attacked in the past few days, Ian? Uh, no, I can't say I have. But, I mean, he's always being attacked at some low level. Well, and, and so apparently he's going to come out at a, a peace event in London. And he's not in favor of nuclear war. And I don't agree with Corbyn on a lot, but I'm 100% with him. Nuclear war is bad. And because he's against nuclear war, he's being called a Putin puppet. Of course. <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> yeah, anybody but, who doesn't we, agree with the neocons is a Putin puppet, yes. <laughs> but let's, let's go back, remind people about how Corbyn got kicked out. Corbyn got kicked out on BS charges of anti-Semitism. And they took out not only Corbyn at the time, but also people like George Galloway. So labor people who were pro-Palestinian and against Zionism in general were accused of anti-Semitism and driven from the Labor Party. Is that essentially what happened, Ian? Yeah, yeah, they, well, yeah, they had a campaign for for years ever since Corbyn got elected as Labour Party leader. That was their their main main uh, attack on him because he was popular with what he was saying with Labour Party supporters. Anyway, so they couldn't attack him on the policies he was supporting because the Labour Party support the Labour Party members supported them. So they made up made up all this. Totally false accusations of anti-Semitism, which is all the neocons. I mean, all the near, all the Blairite neocons in the Labour Party and the media were, were all attacking him. So all the charges were false, right? and the actual the actual people who were accusing Corbyn of anti-Semitism were actually racist against non-Jews. <laughs> they were the actual racists, right? So, so <laughs> they, I mean, they always do this. They use projection. They accuse the things that they are most guilty of on their opponents. So Hillary Clinton accused Bernie Sanders of, of rigging the 2016 primaries. Well, we all know it was all the Hillary Clinton supporters that rigged the primaries. So this, this is what the neocons and the establishment do all the time. Every time you hear a, an establishment figure accuse somebody else of doing something untoward, then they're probably doing it 10 times that. And we're seeing the same thing, uh, uh, forgive me, and I was going to say, over the weekend, we got word that we'd be having David Icke on the show again. And David Icke is under the same attack of anti-Semitism, right? This is common. Well, this is, this is their major major attack weapon, but but these people aren't anti aren't aren't anti Semites or whatever. They're anti conspiracy. They're anti rich people getting together and plotting against ordinary people. They are anti anti Zionists. They are anti neocon wars and whatever else. But they're not anti Semites. Like they don't hate all Jewish people or want them dead or anything. I mean, this they, they they. I mean, if you criticise Rockefeller, right? Um, David Rockefeller, who's died now, but you know, you couldn't yes. be accused of anti-Semitism because, but he was a Protestant oligarch. He was an oligarch, right? But if you accuse the Rothschilds of doing the same thing, then you're anti-Semite, aren't you? But because, they, I mean, they're non-practicing Jews, the Rothschilds have been non-practicing Jews for, for ages. 
but they are total oligarchs. So why can't you criticise an oligarch? Oh, you can't do that because they're Jewish. And the same applies to Soros. I mean, Soros isn't a practising Jew or anything. He's an atheist as well. But, I mean, he tra- he, he, they use this anti-Semitism slur to protect themselves from legitimate crit- criticism. And also, of course, it protects Israel from criticism, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, there's a famous thing 10 years ago now that uh, an ex-cabinet minister in Netanyahu's government, a former cabinet minister in Netanyahu's government, about 2012 or something, yeah, we always use that anti-Semitism thing because that always works. It's It's not true. I can't remember what she said exactly, but there's a really famous clip that goes around. It's about about 10 years ago, where she admitted, yeah, we just use the anti-Semitism argument to deflect any criticism of what Israel is doing, you know, bombing Gaza or whatever else are they doing. And so you're still seeing that today. And you're Mm -hmm. right. Galloway talks about that all the time. A woman said that in an interview. They said, that's the trick. That's the card that they play, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and all the now, media go along with it because all the media are all bought, bought off and corrupt. Now, w- w- it's interesting that we have a situation right now that Kanye West and Kyrie Irving, a popular sports figure in the U.S., are facing that criticism at the same time Ike is. It, it, it seems to be just running rampant. And it's, well, they pile it's, on. It's a, as soon as... I mean, you've got to be fairly brave to put... If you're famous or wealthy, you've got to be pretty brave to put your head against uh, 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 above the parapet and say something like this. So immediately somebody does something like that, then the whole the whole industry attacks them. You know, you get the ADL and you get, get the um, Israeli lobby and uh, whatever else attacking them. And there's, there's yeah, so, huge, it's huge numbers of these organisations. Uh, the campaign against digital hate, which is a, which is an organisation that promotes digital hate, <laughs> they all go against it. I mean, that's another globalist organisation, but they all are on the same agenda. Whether it's the globalists or the Zionists and pro-Israel lobby or whatever it is, they're all on the same page. And they all that, and that, there's it, huge numbers of people who work for these. These, you know, propaganda outfits that they called to call them think tanks or social justice organizations or whatever it is. So I'm no socialist. I, I, I'm opposed to a lot of government intervention in the economy. But it seems to me the people in labor who they kicked out, Corbyn and Galloway, it seems to me they actually care. I know Galloway a little bit. He seems to me to be legitimate. He really cares about working people, whereas the people who've been put in place, Keir Starmer, the head of the Labor Party, he doesn't seem to care about working people. Am I wrong in perceiving no, this? No, right. I mean, Gallup, I mean, you might, might agree or disagree with what he says and what policy he supports, but he's definitely genuine about, you know, supporting ordinary working-class people against the oligarchs. Right? Whereas Keir Starmer is working directly for the oligarchs and the multinational corporations. Yeah, and, and Galloway, if you hang out with him a little bit, you get the sense, a very working-class sense. You know, he talked about 
being brought up poor and Irish in Scotland, which was tough. Does that make sense, Ian? Yeah, he was in Glasgow, wasn't he? Tenements in Glasgow, that's where he was brought up. Yeah, yeah and he, they never let him forget that he was Irish. He, he said the Scots people were like, go back to Ireland. He heard that kind of thing all the time. And so, uh, does that make sense, Ian? Yeah, oh, well, I mean, Glasgow and part, other parts of Scotland are deeply divided on it. I mean, Glasgow's got two football teams. One is Celtic, which is all the Irish Catholic supporters, and one is Rangers, which is all the Protestants. Now, so, so uh, Glasgow, Glasgow is really divided. I mean, it's, it's a mini, mini, mini example of um, Northern Ireland, which is deeply divided between Catholics and Protestants. Right, and it was a lot yes. worse before, you know, while the IRA was going on whatever twenty or thirty years ago. Now let's talk about Richard Sunak. He's found fifty billion dollars a hole in the budget. How do you which find which he created? Which he created as Chancellor of the Exchequer. Yes, <laughs> of course. No, so talk about that, Ian. How do you find a fifty billion dollar hole? Well, you don't find it. It was always there, wasn't it? They they wasted hundreds of billions on on lockdowns and whatever else for all, all this rubbish lockdowns that killed more people than it saved. And Jeremy Hunt, who's now the Chancellor, was a rabid pro-lockdown fanatic, so he created it as well. He was in charge of some parliamentary committee that was looking at all the all the COVID issues. So he was in charge of the main committee. That was uh, was supposedly keeping an eye on what the government was doing, but he was pushing the pushing the lockdowns like crazy. Right? He wanted all the schools locked down, businesses shut down, and whatever else. But I mean, it's a massive wealth transfer because they shut down all these small businesses. So all the small businesses, are, you know, are on a knife edge or going bankrupt, while companies like Amazon and Facebook are making billions of dollars. So, I mean, it's, a, it's basically um, uh, all the lockdown policies and all the COVID policies was a massive wealth transfer of trillions of dollars from poor, the poor and the middle class people and small business owners to giant corporations and oligarchs, right? Bezos and Amazon and Zuckerberg and Facebook and, and uh, Elon Musk, he did all right out of it as well. Right, and now the and stock market collapsing. Their 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 supposed wealth is halving. Right, they we're going now going into an economic recession now, and they're going to make it worse by all the by all these stupid stupid policies of tax increases and reducing spending on on the wrong things. Right, so instead instead of instead of cutting the the astronomical military budget, which is about seventy um seventy billion pounds a year or more that they're spending. Wasting mostly, and they 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 are going to cut things that 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 will will hurt the economy, will hurt small people's spending power. Right? It's now, it's, 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 a, it's a complete is, opposite of what should be done. Well, because if they want to solve the UK's financial problems, not being at war with Russia, a supplier of cheap energy might be a way to do that. But they can't. Well, that do would that. be a huge way of doing it. Yes, that would that would reduce all the energy prices and and produce a, a huge a huge boost to the economy because all of a sudden everybody in the UK would be spending I don't know twenty or thirty percent less on their energy, wouldn't they? Now Sunak is 
coming out of the gate being a tough guy on Ukraine. Is he not? He's talking very tough. He's, he's just following orders and following the globalist line. He's a globalist puppet, a puppet, a WF puppet. So he's just following orders of what he's been told he's got to do on Ukraine. He's got, he's got, he's got no ideas of himself. He's got no principles. He's got no beliefs. He just wants to be rich and powerful. And the way he thinks he's going to be rich and powerful is to is to obey the orders from the WEF and the globalist oligarchs that he works for. Now, I thought the story about Liz Truss's cell phone and what it revealed after it was hacked was a huge story. But, of course, the media seems to be ignoring it because it points out a lot of stuff that is inconveniently true yeah, yeah. you just imagine if jeremy corbyn's phone had been hacked and they'd got all the text messages that jeremy corbyn had sent how big they would have run this story for months wouldn't they but because it's liz truss and she's a globalist puppet they they try and bury it all don't they now have they have they basically buried in the uk too are they is well, anyone talking about they... over there well, there was a couple of days when they were talking about it and then, then nothing. And they didn't really go into any details or whatever else was in the text. So, you know, they, they mentioned it for a couple of days and now it's buried. Yeah. No, and that includes the bombing of Nord Stream, right? Yes. Yes. You th you'd think that would be a big story. And especially well, it should, because it should, be, it should be a major scandal of the, um, one of the biggest scandals of the last decade, shouldn't it? But it's not, is it? Because they don't play it. So let me use a little English slang. Let me try it out again. What's with the crazy birds throwing soup on paintings? Uh, you, you know, because they, they seem to be young women by and large, but they seem to be very irritating young women. Am I, am I wrong in thinking there's a lot of very irritating young women vandalizing well, paintings? They're, they're mostly in their 20s, aren't they? And a lot of them are women. There are some men doing it. But they're just brainwashed, indoctrinated, ignorant morons. They just, I mean, man-made climate change is doesn't exist. I mean, it, the Earth's temperature is controlled by natural variations in the sun. All, the, all this climate change thing is a massive, again, it's a massive money laundering operation involving trillions of dollars, and it's a wealth tra transfer from small businesses and ordinary middle-class people to the very wealthy, the global elites. That's all it is. It's got nothing to do with climate. I mean, David Rockefeller's, but oh, when he was alive, he basically admitted it was nothing to do with climate. Uh, he was the one that organised it with it with Morris Strong as his puppet at the um, UN and the IPCC. Morris Strong was all well, the one that, that instigated all this, and he he was a Rockefeller puppet. And this all started in the nineteen seventies. Uh, and you do you think Rockefeller has got got the got the interests of humanity at heart, or the interests of, of the oligarchs? So this was just this is just I mean all this climate change. Hysteria is just another method of controlling people, impoverishing them, beating them down, uh, more ways to control them, and a huge wealth transfer. I mean, Goldman Sachs and whatever is making huge profits out of carbon trading and whatever. So they got all the banks in it, all making money out of it. And, you know, oligarchs like uh, Elon Musk are making billions out of it. 
I, and it's all, it's all a hoax. It's all a hoax. It's a massive scam. Right? And, so, you know, the, the earth hasn't warmed up for the Command last Central, let's years. get the, the Central Bank clip ready. We got that? We got a clip that relates to this, Ian, exactly what you're talking about. But let me run a theory by you. I think there's a reason that they're young women doing this, because if it was mainly young guys in museums, if somebody's in a museum and they see a young guy throwing soup on a painting, a guy might get thumped. Someone at the museum might go up and punch the guy in the face. But you're less likely to do that with a woman. Does That's it make sense? Point. A good point, yes. I really think that is why they, they have they put the women out there to do this because it's you know Well that's why they use Greta Thunberg in the first place, isn't it? Well because oh you can't you can't you can't criticize and, and slag off, you know, a, a fourteen year old girl, can you? Because that's unfair. You that's, that's just that's just beastly that is. Criticizing a fifteen year old schoolgirl for what she's saying, you can't possibly do that. So she was the mouthpiece for Soros and all the climate lobby, wasn't she? So, Ian, we have a clip with the central banks talking about what you're talking about. Hit it. Banks are also starting to understand nature has real value. Carbon, we already figured out. And carbon is moving very quickly into a system where it's going to be very close to a currency basically being able to take a, a, a ton of absorbed or sequestered carbon and being able to create a forward pricing curve with financial service architecture documentation i just came out of a meeting this morning how we're trying to accelerate that to be quite honest not to get very boring but we're on financial topics and things but they're going to be derivatives and you need is the documentation if you want to trade a derivative in the marketplace and all of this actually matters for nature as well. I'm going to quickly hand off, but again, I want to talk about value one more time. Because the southern part of the world has value far greater than large elements of the northern part. And when we start thinking about and putting prices on water, on trees, on biodiversity, we find where does that sit? I'm doing a lot of work out of Asia, and I say that my next-door neighbor, Indonesia, is the left lung of the world, and obviously Brazil's the right, and Africa, absolutely critical. And we need their natural capital as a system-based world more than we need that $66 billion we've got sitting in the basement of the Bank of England. So how do we, and I'm hoping this discussion today, at least from a central banker's point of view, on how do we start tokenizing, how do we start building systems that actually create not only the value, but transfer that value around the world. So there you go, Ian. It sounds almost like the environment is a new form of cryptocurrency. What do you think? Well, it, uh, well, I don't know about cryptocurrency. I mean, uh, they, they're different things. But I mean, what they do in the cryptocurrency now—they're trying to destroy it, aren't they? With all these scandals and whatever. But I mean, all this, all this climate change thing, and all these carbon tax credits, and all these financial scams that go around it, and subsidies to so-called green companies for wind farms or solar panels or what or electric vehicles or whatever it is. It's just a huge scam. I mean it's it's transferring 
money from one group of people to another. And the first group of people are the ordinary middle class taxpayers and small business owners. And the second group of people are industrial globalist elites and oligarchs. And that's what happens. And that's why the oligarchs are getting more and more powerful, because they're being given more and more money from ordinary people and ordinary people are getting poorer. That's what's happening. That's been going on for 20 odd years. So you're not expecting big things of the COP27 meeting in Bali? No, no. So the, the, the COP thing in, in Bali is a, is a huge, huge con, contract that is, is just exploring more ways to con, con ordinary people out of their money and control them. Right? Who are the people attending COP27? They're oligarchs. They're, they're CEOs of multinationals. And they're puppets in politics and the media. That's who they are. Right? There's no, there's nobody with with who has the interests of ordinary people attending COP27. Nobody, absolutely nobody. Well, and it's also where, and it's where Joe Biden met with Xi Jinping from China for a three-hour meeting today, and you know, listening to Biden talk about it, Biden is a peacemaker, but I'm skeptical <laughs> for some reason. Are, are you Biden, Biden and Hunter Biden have made millions out of deals with Chinese companies linked to the Chinese intelligence services and the Communist Party, haven't they? They take millions of dollars in bribes. They've made, made millions out of China. Right? So they're not going to do anything to, to hurt the Chinese leadership. Are they? Because that's, that's how they've made most of their money over the last 10 years. Right? And also a load from Ukraine and whatever, but that's also the globalist agenda, isn't it? Hunter Biden with Burisma and his deals, deals with that, some sort of hedge fund he set up and got, got I don't know, how many hundreds of millions of dollars out of the Chinese to invest in his, his hedge fund company or something. Right. And, and that's why I said on this FTX scandal, I predict with great certainty that the media will not cover it at all because it exposes stuff about the Bidens and stuff about Ukraine and the real scandal with FTX. And by the way, do you think it's a surprise at all that the media has not and no politicians are bringing up the Jeff Epstein story? The Jeff Epstein story ties into Israel, and I think it's why it's not covered. What say you, Ian Chillen? Jeffrey Epstein was a Mossad agent who was blackmailing powerful people in the U.S. and elsewhere to support the globalist Zionist line. That I mean, It wasn't a sex trafficking business per se. It was a means of blackmailing people to to uh, support a specific agenda, right? So it was run up, run out of it was a Mossad operation, right? Israeli intelligence, now, he's, and um, he's not as well known in in the U.S. at all. But Ghislaine Maxwell's father, Robert Maxwell, was a big part of this, the Epstein scandal, and he's yeah, very he, famous in England, right? So yeah. explain who Robert Maxwell is and how people in the U.K. know who he is. Well, Robert Maxwell used to be the equivalent of Rupert Murdoch. He was a media magnet. 
right? He owns several several newspapers in the UK, right? So he wasn't quite as big as Rupert Murdoch, but he was nearly there, and he he was a billionaire, right? Yeah, and this is twenty years ago before he died, right? So uh, and. He he was a Mossad agent. He'd been working for Mossad since about 1955 because MI6 tried to recruit him as an agent for, for, for British intelligence. But but then they said, no, they gave up on that because he's already working for Israel. <laughs> and this is 1955. He'd worked for them for 40 years before he died. Right? And he, he, I mean, he just used his media thing to support... To these media empire to support Israel, just like Murdoch does now, and then and but then he stole all the pensions of ordinary people, all the companies that he owned. He stole all the pensions out of them because his businesses were going bankrupt, and that's that's why he went, eventually went bankrupt and then went down because all these companies went went bankrupt, and he after he'd stolen all the pension money from all the tens of thousands of employees that he'd had, and th that's why. He he supposedly killed himself, right? But there's speculation well, that he was murdered. It's very, yeah, it's very suspicious and the timing of it because all this stuff was going to come out was coming out with him stealing all the pension funds. So all the other scandals were also being tacked onto it. This was in the in the mid 1990s. He died, but he supposedly fell off his boat in the middle of the Atlantic, off Tenerife or something, didn't he? <laughs> Very and convenient. Was called I mean, are you think Mossad was named him? after his daughter? Gaudian. I was just saying well, the boat was named after Gislaine Maxwell. Yeah, it was called Gislaine, wasn't it? Yeah, his boat was. Yeah, you don't think yeah. Mossad could have arranged to murder him on his boat in the middle of the Atlantic without anybody being able to see it? <laughs> he takes a submarine or helicopter, doesn't he? <laughs> and also, interestingly enough, he was an early mentor. Robert Maxwell was to Bill Browder. And if you look, uh, Bill Bowder is another folk, a t t another another billionaire oligarch who made his money by by stealing from ordinary people, looting looting Russian Russian state assets, wasn't it? During all the privatisation in the nineteen nineties. Ian Schilling, we're out of time. Great appearance as usual by the great Ian Schilling. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking more about the elections on the backstory. back on the backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390. I'm Lee Stranahan and this is a show that brings you the truth behind the headlines, the backstory. So Rod, what do you think? Great appearance by Ian as usual, right? Yeah, you cover a lot of things over there. Um, you know, FTX, like we were talking about. You know, we're only gonna you're only gonna hear the conversation here. You're not gonna hear it on any the mainstream media platforms. So again, maybe Tucker, maybe we'll, maybe we'll start hearing things about him this week. And uh, when you look up this guy, saying uh, Sam uh, Friedman, he's got pictures with uh, Bill Clinton and Tony Blair at the uh, Clinton Global Initiative. 
And he was also at the WEF and a part of Davos. So if you bring all that together, you know, you know, it's clear why this is nothing. The media's not going to touch this. So if I, I talk about guys like this, if I call him a player, does that make sense, Rod? Yeah. I think what happens is these people realize that if they want to play the billionaire game, you have to grease the right palms. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, 100%. I mean, I'm pretty sure it becomes clear at a at a function, at a party, or some type of dinner, and uh, somebody tells you, you know, how this how this all how this all works. I'll tell you who I know has did this. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, at one point, the wealthiest man in Russia. Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who I've talked about many times, he was a Russian oligarch in the 90s, and he made his money by scammy deals. He bought Yukos Oil by buying the bank that was auctioning it. So here's someone who was a billionaire all of a sudden in the 90s before Putin took over, when Yeltsin was running things. And Mikhail Khodorkovsky wanted to safeguard his money. So he started dealing with the US and the UK. He got on the board of the Carlyle Group. Do you know much about the Carlyle Group? Um, not too much in detail, but I know uh, the governor of Virginia now, Glenn Youngkin, used to be the head of it. So, uh, you know, there's that. Yes. And the Bushes were connected. And you heard what I was saying about David Icke. We're going to get David Icke again. I'm going to ask him, actually, one question I've got for David Icke is to explain how the Carlyle Group fits in to the roundtable of groups like the Trilateral Commission and, the, you know, the CFR and so on. But he also gave a lot of money to George Soros. And I'm convinced the reason he gave the money to Soros is because it set him up, Kordakovsky, as a player. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, you you gotta you gotta catch you catch on real soon on how business is done. So yeah, I'm, I'm you know I, I understand what you're getting at. Yeah, and I think it's it's almost like a poker game where they want to see if you come in and you buy a million dollars worth of chips, you can sit at the table. They don't want someone at the table who doesn't have a million dollars to spend on chips. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the stories about uh, gambling with Michael Jordan. If, you, if you're not on that level, you shouldn't gamble with Michael Jordan. So I think Kordakovsky gave the money to Soros to prove that he's got that money, right? And once he established that he had that kind of money, he's a multi-billionaire. And the first person he bought into things in U.S. politics was Joe Biden. Look up Senate Resolution 322 from 2005-2006. It's sponsored by Joe Biden, and it's Mikhail Khodorkovsky Resolution. And the co-sponsors were Biden, forgive me, were Barack Obama and John McCain. And that's 2005. Notice that those two guys, McCain and Obama, in 2008, would be both candidates for president. So I would say Korkowski invested wisely in 2005. But I'm saying it's not an accident, I don't think. 
I think Biden set up the intro with Gordokoski and Barack Obama and McCain. Does that make sense, Rod? Right. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, just bets. Yeah, just bets. Take us to boom, please. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. And this is one of those series, you know, I'm not going to find any smoking gun, any proof positive. There's going to be no memo from Biden to Barack Obama saying, hey, I'd like to introduce you to Mikhail Korkowski. I think he'll help your career. Does that make sense, Rod? No, that was probably a face-to-face thing. So you probably wouldn't see any notes on that, any uh, paper trail on that. But we do know for sure that Obama and McCain were the only co-sponsors and that Biden was the sponsor. It's for sure. And we know that Kordakovsky was a corrupt criminal. And uh, so I think this is one of those scandals that's never going to get reported on properly. The purpose of the media is to bury these stories. The media's job right now on this FTX story is not to expose the truth. Right now, there's a lot of media people trying to figure out how to bear a story, and I'll bet they'll try to find the GOP angle on FTX. If someone who knew Trump was involved, they're going to blame on Trump. Do you see what I'm saying, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure. But lead, I mean, the biggest name, you know, the biggest name you were talking about, and I, I agree with you, probably, uh, I, don't, I, I don't think Tom Brady had a whole bunch of money invested. He was probably owed a lot of money. That's probably why he, they're saying he lost money. But just that's what name, I think. Yeah, yeah, just the name Tom Brady is one of the biggest names. You would think the sports world would intertwine and start talking about it, but you're not even seeing it really there either. So, and you know, ESPN's owned by Disney, so you, you're seeing what, how this is being buried. And uh, at the same time, we're seeing Kyrie Irving be unpersoned, deplatformed, basically. Why do you think that's happening to Kyrie? I think they don't want people who question any narratives at all. Uh, yeah, that they're trying to neuter him, Lee. Um, I, w- I was hoping that Kyrie would step away and just say, you know, call it quits and get a lawyer and get all his money because uh, that would make him a legend. Um, but uh, you know, he's gonna he's gonna go and play. You know, he spoke with he met with uh, Adam Silver, who's uh, has some Jewish heritage the ADL, and he met with a rabbi. I don't know who this rabbi was, but, you know, uh, supposedly he was going to teach him a lesson on anti-Semitism. But, yeah, they they just wanted to neuter him for anybody else who, like, you know, athletes who are uh, tied to major corporations, MLB, NHL, NFL, you know, know your place. Right, And, and know your narrative, and know what you question and don't question. If he had come out and he'd said any conspiratorial stuff against Russia, against Putin, against Trump, Kyrie would be a hero. He would be a Colin Kaepernick. Do you agree? Oh, if he would if he were to talk about this whole Russia Ukraine thing and, and be you know, just be like, hey, you know, I saw these videos of these uh Nazis in Ukraine, I would actually be in fear of Kyrie's life. Just 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 how they're just targeting him. You know, if he took it up another notch, I would honestly be in fear of his life. Now I've also, you know, no one is exempt from criticism. And I have some questions about Candace Owens. But did you see her talking about Ukraine corruption recently? 
Recently, no. I don't. I don't follow uh, Candace that much. But uh, yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't seen anything recently. So she made some statements, and one reason I kind of like Candace is I think she's still got some independence, and she hasn't learned that she's not supposed to talk about Ukraine. And Marjorie Taylor Greene has been out there talking about no more money for Ukraine. So I think the. I don't think funding is cut off for Ukraine, but I do think the open checkbook is over. Do you think that's the case, Rod? Yeah, that was that was was coming out uh, during uh, election week. Uh, well, <laughs> the run up to the election, the media was attacking Republicans who questioned that, and uh, you know the Republicans clarified themselves. Not they weren't saying that they didn't support Ukraine, but they're just saying there was no more uh, no more blank check. That's right. And uh, I think that's what we what we want. That's the best that can be hoped for currently. That, that's sad, though, Lee. That's kind of sad that <laughs> the the best we can get is well, we're going to be instead of billions, we're going to send millions, uh, piece, you know, chunks, little smaller chunks. Well, because no one's willing to do what you have to do. You have to be willing to say Russia's the good guys, Ukraine are the bad guys. You have to be willing to say these Ukrainian Nazis are the vicious, sadistic murderers. And very few people are willing to say that. It's provably true, right? But you're taking on 80 years of U.S. foreign policy. What say you, Rod? Yeah, you know, I went to check uh, CNN this weekend, and they had a clip of uh, over in Kherson, and they had their Ukraine reporter, and they had people singing in the background. But then just a couple moments later, Lee, and I, I don't laugh to like it's funny, but just as just how crazy we, how crazy the times are. The guys they caught, Heiling? They, yeah, they caught a guy doing the, uh, you know, the Nazi salute on on the back of a truck, and people tied up to poles and all this other stuff on CNN. Yeah, that's it. Ukrainians always expose who they are pretty soon, and by Ukrainians I mean pro-regime. I'm not saying everyone who's Ukrainian, but you know what I'm saying, Rod? The pro-regime Ukrainians eventually have a swastika on their butt or something, a tattoo. Have you, you noticed that? Yeah, they can't, the media can't hide it. I mean, whenever they have the cameras, I mean, you can only, you have to have like a fish hole type of camera where it's only, you see someone's head. Because if you just look around just a little bit, from the point of view, you can just see T-shirts, clothing, tattoos, or, you know, whatever. I, I, let me be clear. The Nazi tattoos on the ladies on their butts. You've seen those, right, Rod? The the ladies like swastikas on their butts. But the guys seem to like them on their biceps, on their arms. Right? Yeah, the, the guys, or I've seen some, like, uh, on their face leading down their neck. Uh, if they have the shaved head on top of their head, behind the head, things like that. So, yeah, but ladies, they do have, uh, I guess they try to have <laughs> sexy Nazi uh, tattoos. Now, I haven't seen the tramp stamp area. The lower back, a swastika. Have you seen that for any Ukrainian ladies? No, 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 not, not the swastika. By the way, before you order one of those Ukrainian man order brides, Ask for pictures of tattoos. Does that make sense, Rod? <laughs> yeah. Uh, do they still have those? What? Do they still have those? Uh, I know. You oh yeah. 
Okay. So I get a lot. Of, I don't know why. I didn't do anything. I'd explain it to my old girlfriend. She said, why do you have so many ads for Slavic girlfriends? And I said, I have no idea. But they seem to be a lot of those services. But they don't guarantee a no Nazi policy. So I'm a little skeptical. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that's for sure. No, that after you have to put that disclaimer out though, Lee. You know, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust uh, Mail Order Bride either. You know, something like that. It's, 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 it's wow. But I know, pe- I know people who have done it in the past. I know, but n- now imagine the bummer of you have a nice Mail Order Bride, and she knows how to cook, and you know seems nice, and you bring her over, and she's a Nazi. That'd be a bummer. And I don't think you can get your money back. And no one, no one's sympathetic. If you pick the wrong mail order bride, no one's sympathetic. They say you deserve it, sucker. Am I right, Rod? Yeah, pretty much. If even if you pick someone domestically uh, as well, so they give you the same treatment, and then you can't deport them either. Either league, you know. You know, right? You can't deport them. And furthermore, if you said, "Well, I had to get rid of her." Because she had a Nazi tattoo, no one would believe you who's a Democrat. They would not believe it. Even if you showed a picture, they'd say you photoshopped that or something. Because yeah. I was thinking about this. Democrats are really good at being in complete, total denial. I'm convinced that a lot of Democrats don't care at all about if you proved voter fraud. A hundred percent. They always say they're fake accusations of voter fraud. But I'm not convinced any Democrat I've ever met, if you showed them proof of voter fraud, would care. I think if the voter fraud gets more Democrats elected, they like it. What say you, Rod? Oh, yeah, hundred percent, Lee. I definitely agree with that. And just to double down on your point, I don't know if you've seen that uh, Mexico— uh, I think a certain town in Mexico is you know, starting to show ads of uh, my hometown in Kensington, Philadelphia, and how many people are on drugs, on heroin and meth just laid out in the street. So in Mexico, they're playing ads of Philadelphia to tell you to stay away from drugs. Just think about that. You think that's going to be effective? Uh, you know, the media, which is all left wing in Philadelphia, they they don't know what to do about it. They don't know what to say. They just, they're just they uh, just obviously they have to uh, talk about it. But. You know, in in the way they talk about it, it's kind of like you know Mexico's. Since it's Mexico, they can't really chastise them. You know what I mean? Because then that would be racist. So they're always they're always caught in their own little box. So I was saying this over the weekend on Twitter. I'm convinced. Take Philly. I think you know this, Rod. People in Philly are actually kind of proud of the corruption. I've heard people from Chicago, from Philly brag about the democratic machine. They brag about how it's corrupt. I'm convinced that a lot of people in Pennsylvania like the corruption. They they get a sense of pride in it, almost like the Phillies or the Eagles. They are proud of the corruption. Am I making that up, Rod? No, you're not making that up, Lee. Um, I just think uh, or how I see it is that it's gotten too out of control, but people, you know, they don't understand that, it, you know, 
even if you agree with the corruption, you know, from the past, that's long gone. The corruption of now is a hundred times worse. Just like you said, you know, the voting, you could show them 100% per 1000% proof of uh, voter fraud and, and the new, you know, the new corrupt party wouldn't care. You know what I mean? They wouldn't just go, they keep steamrolling right ahead. No, right. And I'm also convinced that because they don't care, you're not going to get change in places like Pennsylvania. But by the way, Arizona, I think, also has Arizona's corruption goes like this. The voters in Arizona get benefits from illegal immigration, so they don't want to get rid of it. That's why John McCain was their guy. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, yeah, no, it's very obvious. And, you know, this whole thing with Katie Hobbs and as of a couple of hours ago, I think uh, I think Harry Lake was like 26,000 votes. But she's, I, I, you know, now as we get farther and far or closer and closer to the end, I think she's going to be like you know, a thousand votes uh, from from winning. And that's how it just how it'll end. And I think that will unleash Carrie Lake to be a national political figure. And, and I think she should get out of Arizona in the same way. Uh, you know, again, think about what you have to do to flip Illinois or New York or California. Why do you think Pennsylvania or Arizona is any easier to flip than those states? Not you, Rod, but just in general. Why does anyone think that? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's not a it's not an easy thing. Uh, in Pennsylvania, the old guard of the Republicans is is the reason and how I see it is why you can't get anything really done. They they don't want to let go of power. They don't want to support uh, any any great candidates. They only want to support candidates that they that they know will you know uh, toe the party line. So that's why you see this weak Republican Party in, in Pennsylvania. Now we've got a great pre-tape interview coming up. So let's take a short break here. I'm Lee Stranahan. That's Rod from Philly, our great producer and co-host, and this is. The backstory. And we are back with the backstory. Coming up, a great interview about the FTX scandal with David Towles. That's in a few minutes. And Rod, we were talking about Carrie Lake. Not that she's listening, but do you know what I think would be a great follow-up for Carrie Lake to become a national spokesman for fixing voter fraud issues around the country? I think Carrie Lake should become the spokesman for that issue. What do you think, Rod? Oh, actually, I think that would be a, a great, I think that's a perfect, you know, you should become a consultant for career positions, because I think that would be a great position. If she loses, I think she should make a national campaign and go around the country. I think I think Trump would uh, definitely get behind that as well, which would give her some, uh, you know, a boost. And I definitely think the Democrats might not like what they get, because Kara Lake, I think, is a star. star. She is a very good spokesman for the issues, and she's suitably aggressive. She doesn't take any guff from people. Does that make sense, Rod? 
Yeah, no, no. She like like we've all, uh, we've been saying for the last couple of weeks. She she knows how to handle the media. She comes from the media. She puts them in their place, and they don't like that. Lee, and uh, they, that's why they didn't like Trump. He knew how to handle the media as well, but not uh, actually. I think Carrie Lake does it better. But um, so that's no, why no. Like. I I do too. Carrie Lake is still, I I think, likable and more confident than Donald Trump. What say you, Rod? Yeah, Trump. Trump tries to be like he tries tries to be the funny guy in the room, and you know, make everybody laugh, or at least the people his his people, his supporters laugh. Um, so yeah, and Carrie Lake's more factual, and she's more ironic with the, you know the court questions. She points out facts and spits it right back in in the in the media. So someone get a pack, the the, you know whatever, call it the, you know save voting pack. Call it something clever like that. Call it the legal voting pack and put Carrie Lake in charge of it. First off, it would make a ton of money. People would donate to Carrie Lake heading up a anti-voter fraud pack. Do you agree? Yeah, oh, for, for sure, Lee. Um, Republicans and conservatives get a, a good amount of money donated to them. Uh, not as much as the Democrats because they have a lot of uh, billionaires that donate money, but uh, the probably get a lot of uh, organic uh, support from the people. I agree. And I also think that if you pitch it right, if you made it seem like we're just in favor of legal voting and you answered the objections that is voter suppression because the Democrats try to make any move. Remember when their big issue was voter ID? They don't talk about that much anymore. Have you noticed that, Rod? Yeah, you know, they were saying <laughs> it's racist to uh, ask for ID at, at the voter booth. But if you want a beer or you want to buy a gun, you know, you got to ask for ID then, right? Right. That's exactly right. And I, I know Democrats don't talk about voter ID. But when that was the main issue, they used to call that voter suppression. Asking for ID is like a poll tax. That was their argument. And it's absurd. But I think someone like Kerry Lake really could be a great spokesman. Also, on First Amendment issues, she could be a great spokesman because they relate. And I, I think bringing up First Amendment issues, the First Amendment, the censorship threat to democracy is a big issue that Republicans should bring up. Do you agree, Rod? Yeah, they should be hitting that every day, all day, Lee. I don't know. You know, just you know, people like McCarthy and uh, McConnell—they just support the worst people who, you know, don't don't have any real uh, the people's uh, concerns adhere. You know, they just corporatists. You know what I mean? Well, and this is what I'm saying: Carrie Lake, if she were governor, would have to deal with being governor. So there's new stuff that comes up every day. She couldn't focus on, let's say, voter fraud or First Amendment issues. Stuff would so. I think that's a good position for her. Actually, she can do more good, I think, not as governor of Arizona. Do you agree? Yeah. I, I, you know, let, let's let's see how this plays out. But I think if, she, if she's really uh, committed to it, I think she can. She's uh, definitely got a fiery spirit. Okay. So now we got to go to the interview. And I think if you want to get a good factual background on the FTX scandal, the cryptocurrency version of it. We'll be talking about the politics of it later and more this week on The Backstory. Hit it. 
We're joined on the line by David Towell from Cochrane Capital, a cryptocurrency expert. And David, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So first off, I'm confused by crypto in general. And all I know in this story is there's this company, FTX, and they were worth a lot of money, and then they were worth like a dollar. So take us through this. What's going on and the basics of the story? Sure thing. Who is FTX? How, how big a crypto company were they? Okay, so let me, let me talk a little bit about crypto very simply, and then let me pivot to what FTX was and uh, unfortunately now is. So cryptocurrency um, is a way to digitally track property. Um, and that property, uh, until now, has been largely represented, or what people mostly know about, is Bitcoin. And then there is other property, such as rights to um, program on certain, what I'm going to call, program on programs or on protocols. Okay, so they give people access to certain networks and allow them to program on it. And since more and more people want to go ahead and program on those networks, or in the case of Bitcoin, own um, Bitcoin for purposes of storing value, the price of those cryptocurrencies go up. I think in the future, just to give your, your audience a heads up, I think eventually we're going to see things like property titles, like real property homes, automobile titles, insurance policies, all represented by cryptocurrencies, meaning there will be uh, a digital address that will essentially represent your ownership in that particular piece of property or insurance contract, so on, and you'll be able to transfer it automatically, immediately, uh, digitally, like we transfer money over the internet. Um, what FTX was, um, or what it told folks it was, was an exchange, meaning it was a middleman. It would allow someone like me to go ahead and exchange with you, another customer, um, some cryptocurrencies. And there are thousands of cryptocurrencies that are out there, albeit there are a few that are very well known, but nevertheless, there are thousands that are out there. And so you and I would be customers of FTX. And as part of that, we would go ahead and essentially, like any other exchange, like a stock exchange, let's say, we would go ahead and our ownership rights would sit on that exchange. So we wouldn't necessarily control the rights to those cryptocurrencies. We would actually store them with the exchange. And when we wanted to go ahead and buy or sell, we would tell the exchange that that's what we wanted to do. Um, and we assumed, as did the public generally with respect to FTX, that all of the stuff that we deposited, whether it be the Bitcoin or the Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies, was simply just sitting there. Now, FTX um, has a U.S. arm, but the parent company is uh, domiciled in the Bahamas and does not is not a public company, so therefore doesn't have to go ahead and publish exactly what it's holding. So you and I and everybody else in the world took it on good faith that our stuff was sitting there with FTX and securely sitting there with FTX. Unfortunately, it was found out that our stuff really wasn't sitting there. As a matter of fact, FTX loaned out our cryptocurrencies 
to another entity that was controlled by the same individual that controlled FTX, a gentleman by the name of Sam Bankman-Fried, otherwise known by his initials SBF. And SBF also ran a fund, and he would loan our cryptocurrencies, you and I are the depositors, to his fund. And the fund would then go out there and speculate um, with it. Unfortunately, the fund did very poorly when it came to speculation, lost all of the valuable cryptocurrencies, and essentially there was a bunch of IOUs that were from that fund owed to FTX. And now, lo and behold, FTX no longer was able to keep the secret a secret. It became public, and now everything's come crashing down. And just to give your listeners a a sense of the magnitude of this, um, we don't know exactly how much was on deposit inside of FTX, but the understanding is is that there's at least an eight to ten billion dollar hole of money lost. Um, and secondly, in terms of what the value of FTX was, because people were investing in FTX, the enterprise, not just putting deposits into FTX, but there were big investment funds that were investing in FTX to own a piece of FTX. At the last valuation round, FTX was valued at a $32 billion enterprise value. So all of that value is now gone. That $32 billion is a zero for sure. It's the, the entity is not worth anything anymore. Sam Bankman-Fried is no longer the CEO of the company, and he may very well go to jail. There's you know early speculation about that, although you know that's a bit into the future. And then lastly, the people that had their um, accounts at FTX that you know used FTX as as an exchange for cryptocurrency are likely to get cents on the dollar for their deposits, and that probably won't happen until I'd say years into the future. Yeah. So, David, first off, thank you for the great explanation of of uh, crypto in general. And uh, at the risk of sounding dumb, which I am. Uh, this guy clearly, this is illegal what the guy was doing. Now, when you say his son was investing, so we get the right picture. This is some an adult son, not like a 16-year-old, right? Can you say the question once more? I'm sorry. Th- this was an adult son, not a 16-year-old or something, right? He's not a child. Correct. He's not a child. No, he he, he is a uh, he's an adult. Sam Bankman Freed. Okay, and so this guy Sam, what's his background? Because this is criminal, right? I mean, there's no two ways about this. When he's having his son and then hiding that from the investors, do all the shenanigans. Is this a uh, who? What's this guy's background? Wait, wait, I'm sorry. There's no son here, S-O-N. Sam Bankman-Fried controlled both the exchange and the fund. Okay, okay. For, forgive me. I'm, I'm no, no, it's you. okay. He, tra- he traded with himself, essentially, okay? He transferred okay. to another entity. In terms of the criminal liability, you're right. There was fraud perpetrated on investors. Um, it, it, it seems clear. It seems that, as stated in the um, exchange agreement, right? As a customer, as a depositor, 
that you signed, that I, let's say, may have signed, I did not, though, but the FTX customer would sign, it says that FTX is going to keep custody over my assets. In fact, instead, he went ahead or FTX went ahead and transferred those assets out of FTX, so essentially stole those assets, right? So yes, I agree with you on a very basic level. Um, this was absolute fraud and theft, and you know the principals are going to be criminally charged and prosecuted. And you know, if if properly, if I have the facts right, you know they will be found guilty and, and criminally uh, liable. Um, with respect to Sam Bankman-Fried and his background, um, he has uh, not anything but you know a pretty novice background when it came to. Uh, finance um, in terms of his work experience. He is a young person. Uh, I think he's in his 30s. And uh, he had but, you know, a little bit of background. Uh, he's an MIT graduate, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's obviously very sharp when it comes to um, both computer science and cryptography. Uh, but nevertheless, um, you know, perpetrated a, a massive fraud is what it seems like right now. Now, what am I saying about who was caught up in this? I saw Elon Musk's name, but Elon, we know, is in cryptocurrency through, what is it, the doggy? How do you say that? Doggy coin? Oh, Dogecoin. Dogecoin, yeah. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's just the cryptocurrency that Elon Musk has, has played with over time. But that has no, it really has no involvement here with FTX. And Elon Musk, other than banter, really has little to do with Sam Bankman-Fried, other than the fact that at some point in the episode where Elon Musk was raising money to buy Twitter, uh, there was some exchange, if I understand it correctly, maybe not directly, but indirectly between Elon Musk and Sam Bankman-Fried and Sam Bankman-Fried potentially investing a billion or north of a billion dollars in in the purchase in the forty four billion dollar purchase of Twitter. No, so I ask that because I'm seeing a lot of rumors that at this point are just rumors, but a lot of people are obviously talking about this FTX story, and uh, so I saw Elon's name, but it didn't seem to me like he's a central player. That seems to be what you're saying. That's right. correct. Yes, he is. He is not a central player by by any stretch. I tell you, the the following are, are the important players, um, other than the, the, the obviously the, the folks that lost money. Um, Sam Bankman Fried, because of the massive wealth that he accumulated in a very short period of time and prominence, uh, was involved pretty heavily in a bunch of things. Um, first off. Uh, the FTX name is on a lot of different things relating to sports, uh, like uh, an F1 Mercedes-Benz team. Uh, they are a sponsor. In addition, uh, they're also uh, the name on, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the basketball arena down in uh, Miami, the Miami Heat. Um, so uh, there's also uh, a big uh, FTX uh, I'd say uh, relationship between FTX and the city of Miami. Uh, the 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 mayor uh, was a pretty big proponent, um, and then there are some celebrities that were promoting FTX, like Tom Brady um, of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and his ex-wife Giselle Bundchen, 
And then uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, I'd say more substantively, was a was the second largest donor um, to the um, to the president Joe Biden campaign, uh, and he's been a big donor to a lot of Democrats. So uh, there are a lot of people. He appeared on stage with um, with uh, former President Bill Clinton at a conference. Uh, so th- there are uh, there are a, a lot of interesting ties here beyond just the the cryptocurrency community uh, with respect to FTX. So the uh, obviously the president is a big one, and I've been seeing rumors about Democrat money laundering. People have been saying that. So there is some truth to that, right? Correct. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, there's, there's truth about the fact that there was uh, donations made. Beyond that, I don't know. Yeah, but but that's obviously what they're talking about. And how much money do we know? How much money he gave to Biden? Uh, it, it's it's certainly public. I, I don't know it offhand. But if he's the second donor, it's 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 got to be a bit of money, right? Oh, certainly. And I, I'm sure it's not, you know, I, I'm sure that's just his direct donations. I'm sure there are others that he influenced, you know, to go alongside with him as well. Now, did it seem like this is something he got involved in after he made money or was he a donor before? Um, so it will wait to be seen exactly how the political activity when it started and why, um, and this gets a little bit into the weeds, but, you know, cryptocurrency is not regulated in any particular way in the United States. We don't have regulations, and that's unfortunately one reason or could be one reason why this happened. Um, you know, our lawmakers, uh, both Congress and regulatory um, rulemakers, have been slow to act. And there is speculation that Sam Bankman-Fried was trying to get cozy with some lawmakers in order to go ahead and be able to be part of the architectural committee for those regulations, which would cement his and FTX's place uh, as a leader uh, in the cryptocurrency exchange world. Um, You know, I, I think that that's going to take some time. I'm sure there's going to be you know, some digging that might go on. Um, I don't know if there's going to be official hearings um, in the legislature, but uh, I think there's going to be a spotlight shown on his donations and what he was trying to get uh, as a result of those donations. And obviously, my guess is that the Biden administration has said they don't know anything about this, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if they've been asked yet. Uh, or they've had to, a chance to publicly say anything, but my guess is is that when pointedly asked, they will deny everything or avoid it. And you know that that probably is true because I don't think they'd be directly involved in a fraud, especially one. It seems like the FTS was a house of cards. It seemed like this fraud. I often wonder this with stories like we saw Bernie Madoff a few years ago. I don't know how they think they're going to get away with it. Don't they realize that they'll eventually be caught? The pyramid scheme can only run to some long. Am, am I wrong in thinking this is a very dumb way 
Uh, no, you're, you're not dumb. I mean, uh, Ponzi schemes have existed since the beginning of time. Um, so, um, you know, I, um, I, I, I'm sure that they will continue to exist. Certainly, you know, people believe, I guess, that are caught up in those schemes that they could eventually get bailed out or grow big enough to grow out of them or something. Um, but like you said, there's really no way out. Um, and, you know, almost always you're going to go ahead and get, um, you know, uncovered. Yeah. I assume it would have lasted longer if he'd done some good investments that had made him some money. It might not have been found out, but eventually when these investments start going bad, right? I mean, there's there's no way to avoid it. Am, am I right, right here? Correct. Now, so what's the next step? Which law enforcement agencies are looking into this? Is this federal? Yeah, all all. all all law enforcement agencies are going to look at this. So as I said earlier, the parent company of FFTX is based in the Bahamas. So in fact, the Bahamian, um, you know, authorities, securities authorities, money laundering, so on, uh, fraud, criminal, um, you know, there really have the first crack at this. But the, you know, the SEC and the Department of Justice here in the United States is all over this as well. Um, and I expect that there's going to be some coordinated um, efforts to bring this all together because to run parallel proceedings in multiple jurisdictions is going to get incredibly ugly. And, and you know, FTX you know, operated in many countries around the world. So I'm sure and they're burned customers in countries all around the world. So legal authorities from all of those countries are going to get involved on behalf of the citizens and businesses of those countries uh, that lost money with FTX. So it's going to be a worldwide coordination. Um, you know, I, I, in in the in the securities business, um, you think back to things like Madoff, Bernie Madoff, and Lehman Brothers, and MF Global, which was a commodities exchange. So. Um, you know, there, there, there are um, there's precedent for this, but the magnitude here, uh, I think, is bigger than you know most things we've seen before. Now, do we have any idea what kind of people lost money on this? In in other words, were these small investors, regular people by and large, or were big investors involved? It's across the spectrum. Uh, there really isn't. We, we, we won't know. We won't know for a little while. The, the filing, the bankruptcy filing here was so chaotic um, that it really, at this point, is really just a skeleton bankruptcy filing. Usually when a company files for bankruptcy, they have to publish things like that. Who are all of your creditors, account holders, investors, so on and so forth. But here, I think, first of all, the, the chaos that existed um, was was unprecedented. But secondly, I, I don't even know. I can't even speculate what the books and records of this company looks like. I don't know if they had, you know, good bookkeeping um, that went on. If, if there is good bookkeeping, then we should get soon um, a list of, you know, all of the parties that that 
you're wanting to to be identified. That that's going to be required. It's not going to be, you know, something that's elective. Uh, it's demanded uh, by bankruptcy courts. And uh, while you're talking about all the chaos, how quickly did this go south? How how long ago did FTX look solid? How quickly did this fall apart, David? Um. It's it's going to be it's going to be hard to tell because, um, you know, it's hard to tell right now. We're going to need some time in order to be able to digest, you know, how the dominoes kind of fell uh, to go back to the very earlier example that I was talking about. When you and I, let's say, deposit Bitcoin with a, with FTX, let's say we did that a year ago. What did FTX do with that Bitcoin immediately? Did they sell it and then take the cash and use it? to, you know, siphon it off to their hedge fund and then use it for speculative bets? Or was this something that started, you know, only recently in terms of the undoing of the Ponzi, right? Or, you know, the, 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 the plummeting of the value here that happened very quickly, but that's the case for any Ponzi scheme, right? The moment the cracks start to show themselves, it's really very hard to start to keep things together. As a matter of fact, things to the cracks seem to open into chasms quite quickly. And that happened here. So, you know, I mean, I guess I guess we can say it's breathtaking that the value of the, of FTX was 32 billion in recent months. And now, now it's zero. So in that sense, it's pretty incredible how quickly it, it came undone. But that being said, I, I think any Ponzi scheme, you know, once it comes undone, it goes straight to zero. Now. Uh, in the, looking at the coverage of this, because obviously this is all over the news, what have you seen that is not true or just stupid? Are, are you seeing stuff in the media reporting that's completely wrong, David? Um, no, I haven't been seeing anything completely wrong in, in you know, in official media. Certainly, you know, in the social media, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation um, and you, you got to know what's speculation and what's reality. Uh, I think the speculation helps to drive uh, people to uncover the reality more quickly. Uh, but certainly there is there is a lot of speculation, a lot of conspiracy theories that are floating out there right now. And it's going to take some time until the truth comes to light. And uh what does this mean for crypto in general? Is this going to make people who are already skeptical somewhat of crypto because it's new? Is this going to hurt cryptocurrency in general, David? Um, I, I think for 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 the for the time being, certainly it's going to keep people sidelined, the, the, the people that you know weren't involved. But I, I, I don't know how much that really matters because the next wave of involvement in crypto that the crypto community is, is, is foreseeing um, is institutional involvement. Uh, so much larger institutions, banks, and other financial services companies. And, and there, interestingly, um, you know, I, I, I actually think, ironically, this, this FTX situation serves as a justification uh, for cryptocurrency. And let me just explain that for a second. You know, cryptocurrency was developed as a peer-to-peer -peer form of value transfer, 
right? Um, it, it you don't because it's digital. You don't need anyone in the middle. You don't need anyone that is keeping tabs on who exactly owns what. Uh, I can own whatever it is that I own. I own it directly, and I'm the one that can go ahead and keep um, protection of that uh, until such time as I decide to transfer it. And when I decide to transfer it, I can transfer it directly, let's say, to you by transferring it di digitally. We don't need you know, an exchange involved. We don't need a broker involved. We don't need a, 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 a large money management firm you know, in between, we don't need lawyers. We don't need, um, you know, title insurance when it comes to different types of property and so forth. Um, and so it was supposed to be decentralized. That's the entire, you know, I'd say philosophical underpinning of cryptocurrency. This exchange FTX was what we will call a centralizing exchange. It's because people didn't want to go ahead and hold on to the, you know, rights themselves. They wanted actually to keep it with some sort of centralization or middleman, um, you know, if, if we could say that. And so this teaches us that middlemen are, you know, unless they're heavily regulated, frankly, you know, they shouldn't be involved at all. Uh, there's room for corruption and fraud and so forth. And that's why the decentralization thesis is something that should be acted upon. And so therefore, to go back to your question, I think that you know, the underpinnings of crypto have not been hurt here. This is just about one guy who went ahead and essentially perpetrated a massive fraud on a lot of people, including sports celebrities and politicians and large, you know, prominent investors and so on. Um, but the underpinnings of cryptocurrency haven't been hurt at all here. It's not as if someone hacked into the blockchain and was able to go ahead and siphon, siphon off hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. That has not been undone. And so therefore, um, you know, the, the thesis for cryptocurrency is well intact. And frankly, this story should prove that there should be more decentralization and not more centralization, i.e. middlemen involved uh, in transactional activity. So great, great explanation, David. Thank you for that. We're out of time. Tell people where they can find your company, please. Oh, of course. Uh, my, my, my firm is called ProChain Capital. Uh, you can find us on the web at www.prochaincap.com. That's P-R-O-C-H-A-I-N-C-A-P.com. And you can find me on LinkedIn and on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is David D. Towel. That's D-A-V-I-D, middle initial D as in Daniel, last name T-A-W-I-L. David, thanks so much. A complex topic, but obviously it's an ongoing story that we're going to be hearing a lot about in the coming months. Thanks for the explanation. Thank you very much for your time. So great appearance by David Towles. What do you think, Rod? Yeah, no, that's why I brought David on to explain that. And it's going to get it's going to get messier. And like David said, you know, we still don't know how this all came down and you know, maybe maybe Al is right. Maybe somebody you know within the organization blew the, blew the whistle and was like, "Hey, this is some fraud going on here." Well, let me let me take back something I said during the interview. I believe fully that the Biden administration would know about this. The more I see about it, I think it was an intentional money laundering operation, basically a shell game. And I there's nothing about 
Joe Biden, who lied openly to American people about his son's laptop, which exposed corruption. There's nothing about Joe Biden that I think would not lie about it. Is there any sense, Rod? Oh, yeah, for sure, Lee. I mean, come on. <laughs> to think the Biden administration just uh, has their hands clean in, in this scandal. No, I, I don't believe that. No, and, and in a sense, it's like Ukraine, another perfect setup. This guy's operation was set up for money laundering, right? It yes. was easy. It was, you know, it was easy to hide. But I think the thing that's going to hurt them long term, the Biden administration, the reason I think this will come out is a lot of people who know the crypto space are not Biden fans. A lot of people who know the crypto space are libertarians or pro-capitalist free market people. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, and they had uh, they had been calling this out for a, a while now. Um, I'm, you know, I'm gonna try and bring some other crypto people on, but they had seen that, that they had called this out. You know, while you know this guy was at the Davos on World Economic Forum, just like, yo, this is a this is a Ponzi scheme. You know, people need to look out. But here we are. And so I think having people who, again, I don't know much about crypto, but people who also the blockchain thing, it seems to me like make it might make it easy to track this Ponzi scheme. Unlike Madoff, there was nothing that was hard to track. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna find out who, who got the money. So we're gonna be covering this more. Great job, Rod, in finding David Towels for us. We got more coming. And thanks so much, Jane Schilling, for his appearance. We'll be back tomorrow on a show that does not drop the news. This is the backstory. Thank you.